Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon and lunchtime, everybody. Thank you for joining me on episode 46 of the show about the show. Happy 2019. I've been uh, taking some time away dealing with some personal stuff, and I'm hoping to uh, do the podcast going forward on a more regular basis for those of you who do enjoy listening to this. Happy Rusev Day to all of you wrestling fans out there. I know there's quite a few of you who listen to this that are wrestling fans, so happy Rusev Day. We are on the road to WrestleMania. It should be a good one this year. Today's episode, episode 46, I am joined by Seth Stowes of Twins Daily. He is one of the co-authors of the Twins Prospects Handbook. He's a media member for the Twins, and he has a lot of knowledge about the prospects as well as the big, as well as the major leaguers. We're going to be talking uh, Twins Fest from last weekend. We're going to delve deep into the payroll situation and if fans have the right to gripe about the lack of spending, as well as the 2019 season, Rocco Baldelli being the manager and some spring training. So we're going to get into that here in a few minutes with Seth. I do want to uh, make an announcement, though, first. I was at Twins Fest last weekend with Seth and about 10,000 other fans. And I, the Twins run, um, they do silent auctions as well as live auctions during their uh, Twins Fest event. And I was able to win one of those auctions. I was very, very happy to, and thrilled to do so. It was an honor to be able to do that. It's one of those things where you don't really think it's ever going to happen until you actually do it. It's been a bucket list item for me. And when I say a bucket list item, I don't mean just a a baseball bucket list item. It's been a bucket list item for me my entire life to be able to do. And I was informed um, later in the day on Sunday after the contest ended that I had won And so my announcement is that at a game sometime this summer, to be determined, I will have the immense honor and pleasure of throwing throwing out the first pitch at Target Field. So I am really, really looking forward to that. It's going to be a lot of fun to be able to get out there and throw out the first pitch. And uh, I get four tickets four tickets to the game and a couple other things. So that was uh that was pretty cool to find out that I had won and when I find out uh which game I will be throwing out the pitch at I will definitely post it on social media and so so everybody can kind of follow along with that. But so that's my uh that's my big announcement. But for now we are going to Bring, I'm going to bring on Seth Stowes. Enough about me. Let's get right into it with Seth Stowes from Twins Daily. Seth, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Devlin, how are you? Doing well, man. Thanks. Glad to see you survived the polar vortex. Well, I did. And then uh, this morning I woke up and got out of my garage or opened up my garage and there's about eight, nine inches of snow and I uh, just drove home and still not plowed out. Uh, so 
so yeah, now there's even more. But I got into the garage and safe and uh, ready to talk some twins if you if you want to. Oh, absolutely. Let's delve right in. So you are one of the co-authors of the Twins Prospects Handbook. Can you talk talk to me about kind of the process that goes into making the handbook and how the idea of the handbook came about? Well, actually, this was the 11th this year. Uh, the first one, a reader at my old site, SethSpeaks.net, um, just asked me if there was any way to kind of monetize things. He said, you know, you know so much about these prospects. You follow them every day. I wonder if there's a way you could, you know, create something. And that's kind of what it was. And, and the first one I did within about two weeks. And now, you know, it's just become so much bigger with the articles, with 160 profiles that are, really pretty in depth and uh, it just got so big and, and Jeremy Nygaard and Cody Christie jumped on several years ago and obviously Jeremy's gotten more busy uh, with work and such and Cody uh, Cody's still helping out and Tom Froming uh, one of the new guys at Twins Daily too uh, helps out so it's it's a busy thing but uh, it takes a couple at least two months maybe closer to three uh, but you know we're pretty proud every year when it when it does finally come out. How did how do you, how do you go from doing a prospect handbook that takes two weeks to 160 prospects? Like when people buy this book, what can they expect to see on your average prospect? What information are you giving them? Well, I look at that first book that I did, and it was just a little information, a paragraph or two on each player, and I knew more about some. But a lot of the guys playing in the Gulf Coast League, it basically said so-and-so signed with the twins out of the Dominican Republic in July of 2000. And uh, last year he hit blah, 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 blah. I mean, that was about it. Uh, now what we do is we provide all that bio information, who scouted them, how much they signed for uh, photographs of uh, as many players as we can get a lot of them from myself, but you know, guys like Steve Boer, who you've had on, I think before uh, it's from Cedar Rapids obviously helps uh, with some of his pictures too. And I obviously appreciate that, but we're also looking at, you know, their background and providing a couple of paragraphs on that. And, um, you know, their, their previous history of playing and what they did in more depth for the previous year. So last year, what did they do in 2018? And then, you know, I write out a scouting report and we try to predict who, where these guys will play in 2019 as well. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's definitely a, uh, a change. I think the first one was about 70 pages and these most recent ones, even with trying to be more organized in them, there's still about 150 pages. Yeah. It's definitely a labor of love. You know, I follow, I follow all three of you guys or all four of you guys on Twitter and it's, you know, you guys, you guys, it's ne it's relentless. It's never ending for you guys for about three or four months. It's a long, it's a lot of long nights. Let's uh let's switch gears and and talk uh Twins Fest. You and I were both down there. It was good to see you down there at Twins Fest. Um you were also down there for the Diamond Awards. Can you talk to people who may not be familiar with the Diamond Awards what that event is? Yeah, um you know, it's an event put on by the Twins by the uh, Minnesota or the Twin Cities chapter of the Baseball Writers Association of America. I believe Pat Borzai is the uh, is the head of that right now, and it's their Twins Awards. But they also work with the University of Minnesota and specifically the Bob Ellison Ataxia Research uh, Center and 
and what they do for neurological diseases such as ataxia, such as Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, a variety of, of diseases and the research they do for that. So, you know, it's a fun night. It's kind of a black tie kind of thing and um, or at least dress up type of thing and, and kind of rub shoulders with people for a while. But the players that won the awards for the Twins last year were there. And, you know, it's good to see Jose Barrios and I talked a bit with you know, Alex Kirilov and and uh you know Lewis Thorpe and you know I or Max Kepler introduced his mom uh to me she was there from Germany uh she'd been around the states for about a month and was about to head back but it was good to meet her um you know and just a variety of players the media uh fans it was it was a good time absolutely and then the next the, the next 3 days were taken up by Twins Fest for people who have never been to Twins Fest, um, you know, obviously it's a bit different for you because you're a media, you have media access. But for the average casual fan, what if, what should fans expect from Twins Fest? Well, you, you're probably better at answering that. I know when I went <laughs> to like the Metrodome, it was a lot of cards. It was a, it's a big card show. It's a big autograph session. Um, you know, I know that the Twins. Uh, PR staff led by Dustin Morris, but also Mitch Hestead and uh, Corey Frankenberg and, and Elvis Martinez, and, and they added some new people this year. They all do just a tremendous job, and it's amazing when you see it in action because they're just kind of running and keeping players going to the autograph show, uh, autograph tables, working with the security to get them there. They're sending them off to play uh, giant foosball or or uh, doing photo sessions or sending them off to a variety of different places around target field. So to coordinate that is, is just a huge thing. And, and, uh, but it is a lot of fun. Last year I brought my daughter and, and spent the night just being a, uh, just a fan there and letting her kind of experience it. And I know she loved it rubbing shoulders with, you know, guys like Brian Dozier or, you know, Max Kepler said hi to her in the hallway and things like that. So, you know, you kind of get up close but also, as you know, you get to see some of the things underneath the stadium, uh, you know, in the Champions Club and in the Legends uh, area where, you know, I don't get tickets. So, um, you know, those areas that I wouldn't be able to go to during a game, you get to see too. Let's switch over. Um you know, Twins Fest was obviously last weekend. What were some from the media side of things? They obviously announced the Twins Hall of Famers. It was Joe Nathan and who? And remind me who the Jerry Bell. That was it. Joe Nathan Jerry and Bell. Jerry yeah. Bell. Um, what are your thoughts on those two guys being inducted? Obviously, Nathan is the all, the club's all-time saves leader. But what are your thoughts on him and Jerry Bell getting in? Um. I mean, no surprise in either case. Um, yeah, Dave St. Peter kind of let off his comments uh, that day with those announcements, and both of them were there. Joe Nathan was there. Jerry Bell was there. Uh, Jerry Bell, obviously, having been the longtime president of the Twins, uh, largely responsible for what eventually became Target Field, you know, the work done behind the scenes there, uh, but also involved in those early early teams and early successes, too. Joe Nason, like you said, I mean, I think he's the best uh, reliever in Twins history. Uh, he got a lot of postseason, uh, just a lot of saves, uh, dominant numbers. I mean, I would put his numbers up against anyone from that same era other than Mariano Rivera. You know, he's right there with everybody else. So, 
very deserving his first year on the ballot. So, you know, the only thing that I find interesting is, is the year that Torrey Hunter finished playing, they put out a special ballot so that he could get elected basically that first year. You would think Joe Maurer would get that same thing, but at the same time, there had been a couple of years where there weren't a lot of strong candidates and things like that. So, um, you know, now there are some real good candidates too, and I think uh, more should be coming, but uh, you know, I mean, that was the other thing. Joe Maurer was around and just so much going on there. Not including Joe Maurer, who's one person that you think should be in the Twins Hall of Fame that currently isn't? Oh, I mean, I mean, to me, the biggest oversight, I think, is Cesar Tovar. Um, that's going back. He played before I think I was even born. But, you know, you not only look at what he did, he he put up some solid numbers. He was such a, a important part of so many good teams and that, you know, 69, 70 range, um, you know, kind of overshadowed by some of the bigger names, but he just uh, provided a lot of value, got some MVP votes, had some strong seasons, but, you know, there's other guys, uh, you know, a guy like, uh, you know, even Corey Koski or um, Shane Mack, you look at some of their numbers compared to a lot of guys. Um, Boy, who am I thinking? Dave Goltz would be a good candidate. I'm not saying these are baseball Hall of Famers, but as you know, it's a different uh, thing. So uh, these guys had real strong careers. Absolutely. I would I would even say, you know, and as somebody who, uh, you know, the public can vote for it, and I will put this out there, that every single year I vote for Dan Gladden because I think Dan Gladden deserves to be in, not just for what he's done for Twins Broadcasting, but as a player, he was – he was kind of one of those glue guys on the 87 and 91 team. You know, he wasn't flashy. He wasn't the Herbacker and the Pucket or the Morris. But he was definitely a guy where they don't win those series without him in playing in those World Series. So I think Dan Gladden definitely deserves to be in, and I hope someday he gets in. Well, I'll fight you on that one as far as him deserving it as a player, but I will agree that his overall contributions to the Twins organization as a player with the World Series rings and now with his at least a decade, he's been in the Twins radio for probably 15 years now. I think the consolidation of all of that, and he probably should get in. And I won't really fight you because, you know, not really my nature. Right. (laughs) All right, Seth, let's switch over, right, mine too. Let's switch over and talk about the uh, the new season that we have coming up, Pitchers and Catchers Report, in 10 days. It's almost here. Um, let's kind of go over briefly, real quickly, the current team that we're looking at. So the rotation that I'm looking at, probably going to be one through five of Berrios, Gibson, Odorizzi, Pineda, and then probably Martin Perez. When you look at those that one through five, you've got to be pretty happy if you're the Twins with the uh, with every spot except with the possibility of maybe number five and maybe a little bit of Pineda because you don't know what you're getting coming off of injury. But Berrios, Gibson, and Odorizzi, I mean, you've got to be pretty you got to be pretty excited about that if you're the Twins. Yeah, I mean, with Berrios, you've got a guy who made his first All Star appearance last year, and you hope he will at least compete for a spot in that uh, for years to come. Kyle Gibson certainly turned, seemed to turn a uh, corner in his career uh, about halfway through the 2017 season, and he was tremendous last year. I'd argue he was their most consistently good pitcher uh, in 2018. Um, and then you got question marks. Oda Rizzi ended the season strong, 
he's still fairly young and uh and obviously his his key is getting into that third time through the order. Can he do that, or are they going to have to be creative with the bullpen for that? With Pineda, I mean, you're talking about a guy who throws 96, 97 for four or five innings. I'll I'll take that any day. I mean, I think it's exciting. Uh, him, His arm's fine. He was ready to come back in September last year and pitched, and then he had the knee injury, which, of course, isn't, isn't related. So, I mean, the knee's fine. He, he's a big guy. I'm excited for him. I mean, Martin Perez is going to start the season as a fifth starter unless things just go horribly wrong in, in spring, which certainly could happen. The positive is you do have so much depth, and, and guys like Alberto Mejia, Fernando Romero, uh, Zach Littell, Steven Gonsalves, Lewis Thorpe should pick factor in there this year. Um, you know, there's so many options there in that fifth spot. Or four guys, uh, should Odorizzi or Perez or Pineda need kind of a uh, – piggyback type of an option you've got guys that could go back and forth from triple a to the big leagues as needed uh, i know that's not ideal but uh, i'm not too terribly worried about the starting rotation yeah and that's and i totally agree with everything you said and that's and that's not something the twins have been able to say lately i think i think the key guy in that rotation is odor is he i really do i think that if he can get through the fifth and sixth inning, like you said, the the second or the late second and and third part of the time through the lineup, if he can get through six innings under a hundred pitches and give him a quality start, you know, every one to two to three starts, the Twins are going to be okay. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Pineda brings. He had a 17 strikeout game on Mother's Day against the Orioles in 2017, so he's got stuff that plays and. You know, it'll be interesting, like you said, with Perez unless things go terribly wrong. And if he struggles, you know, he's on a he's on a low money deal. They might be able to move Romero or Mejia or any of those guys you mentioned in. Do you think that the number five spot set is about the only spot in the order where the twins or in the line um in the rotation rather, where the twins might consider using the opener in the primary? Um, I think so. Um, but like I said, I think piggybacking may make some sense with Pineda early in the year. Uh, let Pineda start and see whether he goes three, four, five, depending on pitch counts and things like that. So I think that's part of it. Perez, I think, makes sense early to use kind of an opener type of thing, whether he's the opener and goes two or three innings, or they let someone like Mejia work the first two or three and then bring in Perez, or however they choose to do that. Cole Stewart's another option I've seen to always forget, but he pitched well last year too. Yeah, I think that's really it. Yeah, he absolutely did. Um, let's let's shift to the bullpen a little bit. We kind of touched on some of the names at that uh, Perez conversation, but the bullpen kind of as I see it now is Trevor May, Taylor Rogers, Addison Reed, Blake Parker, Trevor Hildenberger, Fernando Romero, Matt McGill, and Ed Alberto Mejia with Rodgers and Mejia being the only lefties. Is Taylor Rodgers maybe one of the more underrated bullpen arms in all of baseball? I mean, he was fantastic last year. He ended the season with a fantastic scoreless inning streak. Is he is he maybe one of the more underrated arms in all of baseball out of the bullpen? Um, I would say that his 2018 performance was probably underrated by most. Uh, especially nationally, just because he isn't a big name and 
I mean, he was really good last year in 2017 through about July when he got used an awful lot again, too. But, right. I mean, he is. He's pretty good. He, in order for him to get that, I mean, he's just going to have to continue to do that uh, for a couple more years. Um, and he's a guy I would consider locking up long term. But, I mean, I, I agree with the rest of your list. The other nice thing is, along with Rodgers, and, and you mentioned Mejia, you've also got Gabriel Moya and, and uh, Andrew Vasquez as lefties that potentially could work out of the pen, too, throughout the season. I, that's, I think, what uh, Felby and Levine probably deserve more credit than they're getting for um, in developing some of this depth. And I'm not saying they're the player development, but they've been part of that, and someone needs to get credit, whether it's Stu Clyburn, uh or Ivan Arteaga, who I saw now is uh, in the Marlins organization as a pitching coach. But, you know, someone deserves credit for building this depth in, uh, in the bullpen, in the rotation. Um, so I don't know who people want to give that credit to, but someone should get that credit because there are going to be injuries in the rotation. There will be some in the uh, bullpen. There will be disappointments in both cases, and to have that depth uh, is a good thing. One of the nice things that you mentioned about that depth is not only um, not only the depth of the number of arms they have, but also late game situations. I look at that list and Blake Parker, Addison Reed, and I would say probably even maybe Trevor May all have some closing experience either with the Twins or with other teams in baseball. Right now, who do you see as the front runner to be the closer, or are they looking at closer by committee? Um, I mean, I guess I would add Taylor Rogers and Trevor Hildenberger both got opportunities in the eighth and ninth inning. Uh, and I think there's five guys right there that you've named that can all work in that role. Um, I mean, in theory, I like the closer by committee philosophy. Um, you know, make it make sense. I, to me, Trevor May is the best guy out of that bullpen in terms of potential and stuff and things like that. And I want him to pitch against the other team's best hitters. If you have a one-run lead in the eighth inning and the other team's two, three, four hitters are coming in, I want Trevor May pitching in that situation. I don't want him to wait until the ninth inning just because he's the closer. Um, if they have three left-handers coming up in the ninth inning, I want Taylor Rogers coming in. You know, I mean, so I think to me it makes much more sense. And who knows, by the time uh, people listen to this or download it, maybe Craig Kimbrell will be a twin. And if he is, well, then we know he's, he's going to be the closer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll touch base on that here in a minute. Um, one name that I'm kind of intri- that kind of intrigues me in that bullpen set, and I was really surprised kind of that they put him in the bullpen row, is Fernando Romero. I mean, he had – he had a good first 15 innings as a major leaguer. Um, his stuff plays, he's a 96 or so. Young guy, great arm, good stuff. Are you surprised that they put him in the bullpen and didn't give put him in that number five spot? And if so, what does he bring out of the bullpen? Well, I don't think they've moved him yet officially. I think that is likely to happen, uh, especially depending on what happens. But he'll get a chance to be a fifth starter in the big leagues and I would prefer that he get a chance or continue to get a chance to start. But at the same time, I mean, the reality of baseball is he's out of options after this year. So they do kind of need to, or they're being forced to by the rules of the game, determine what his role is. And, and uh, as, as a reliever, I mean, it's easy. He, he throws 96 to 99 and 
He's got a really good slider a lot of the time, and instead of trying to worry about whether or not he develops a third pitch, you just let him throw two and dominate people for an inning or two at a time. Um, So that's the allure there. Absolutely. Let's let's kind of touch base a little bit on a few other topics. I want to get your thoughts on who you think is going to be a regression candidate and who you think is going to be a breakout candidate. Give me one hitter and one pitcher for the Twins who are going to be breakout and regress. Well, I mean, fortunately or unfortunately for the 2018 season, there's plenty of options for guys that should hopefully break out. I mean, as fans, I think we hope that uh, Byron Buxton and Miguel Sano play much more like they did when they were healthy in 2017 than they did in 2018. And, you know, just to throw a different name out there, because you only asked for one, I'm going to give you three. Uh, I think Jonathan Scopeson, the same thing. He was incredible in 2017 and really for a couple of years before that. And I think he's a guy that had a tough year and an injury last year like Buxton and, and never really got going. So I think he's another candidate. Um, as far as regression, I mean, it's hard to know. Uh, I mean, again, Max Kepler is a guy who I think we all think can take a step forward. So right now I don't think anyone really busted out enough last year. Last year it was easy to say Eddie Rosario would – would regress because of his wild approach at the plate. But I do think that even though he swings outside the zone a lot, he does have a good sense of where he can barrel the ball, where the pitches are for him to barrel the ball. And to me, that's more important even than knowing the strike zone. Uh, And he hits the ball hard. So I I feel like he's a candidate, but at the same time, I think he kind of has figured out and I think he's matured and I think he's kind of become what he gives, which is pretty good. Um, You know, from a starting standpoint, from a pitching standpoint, uh, again, I, I hate to think of who could uh, regress, but I do think if healthy, Addison Reed has been really good for eight, nine years in the big leagues, and I think that uh, if he's healthy, he can really help the bullpen. And hopefully they've got, again, enough depth of quality arms, and I think they have that in uh, Reed and Rogers and and uh, Hildenberger and May and uh, you know even McGill, I think, has a good arm. And if you add Fernando Romero and Adalberto Mejia to that, um, and you've got a lot of guys that are pretty good, so you hopefully don't have to use them every time you have a lead. So I think Addison Reed is one to watch, too, in, in 2018, 2019. One of the common things that you and I both see on Twitter is a lot of fans saying, well, you know, Bryce Harper's out there, Craig Kimbrell's out there, Manny Machado's out there, Dallas Keuchel's out there. And the Twins have $30 million to spend, and they're being cheap. Um, to me, that narrative is to me that narrative is just wrong. I'm, I'm more of one of those people that I want them to spend money, but to me it's more how they spend it than just spending it for the sake of spending. And that's why I've, I think all of the signings that they've done this year have been really, really smart and good <laughs> signings. What do you say to fans who say the poll ads or the organization or the front office or ownership is cheap because they aren't giving out, you know, a 15 to $20 million a year contract when those same fans were complaining that Maurer was getting paid $23 million a year? Well, I mean, there's two sides of it. I mean, it's not like the Twins are, are spending like crazy. So, I mean, it's not like they're completely wrong. And the fact that they were at 130 last year with Maurer in there, 
and now they're at about a hundred this this upcoming season as of right now you know i mean that's that's a big drop and and people are, are okay i mean it's okay for people to be disappointed i'm choosing not to be disappointed just because one you know i've expressed my opinion that 100 million is is certainly where lower than it should be uh relative to revenues but i agree that it's more about how it's spent than than that it's spent um, and also, I just am not one to dwell on things. I don't like bringing it up every day <laughs> the way a lot of people do. And I think, sure. uh, you know, that's that's kind of just, it is what it is at this point. The other side of that is, you know, what if they do sign Krim- Kimbrel and they give him a two-year, $38 million deal? I mean, suddenly now you're at 120, yeah. which some people are still going to be disappointed in. But I don't want to sit there and be like, well, they're not doing anything. They're not trying. They're not doing this. Well, they signed Nelson Cruz. They signed Jonathan Scope. You know, and then if they sign one more and it happens to be someone like that, that's a pretty good off season. You've added three starters, three hitters to your lineup, a starter, right. uh, a starter who none of us like uh, at this point, and a couple of solid relievers. I mean, that's a pretty good off season. So I understand the disappointment and the frustration, and the Twins have. They've signed guys to twelve, thirteen, fourteen million dollar deals. Those are not cheap deals. Um, they signed a guy to a $23 million deal, like you said, that, you know, fans eventually didn't like that either. So I don't know, you know, why suddenly those same people want teams to be spending $300 million over 10 years on a player, even if it's as guys as good as Machado or Harper. So it's a tough situation. And, you know, I think as long as they're making baseball decisions that are, are well thought out, well reasoned and make sense, I'm on board. I agree with I agree with you completely. And to wrap up the payroll part of this and this episode, I would just say to those who are upset that the Twins aren't spending more money, the Twins spent a record $130 million last year and won 78 games. So it's like like Seth and I said, it's not so much about how much you spend, it's how you spend it. You know, if the Twins spend $130 million again this year and only win 70 or 80 games, fans are, you know, fans are going to say, well, you know, they're still upset because they picked, they signed the wrong guys and whatnot. So, Seth, I really Well, and I'd, I'd add to that. Uh, yeah, one, go ahead. I'll yeah, just add ahead. to that. Uh, there was an interesting article that was posted at Twins Daily in our Super Blog Sunday uh, that Tom Froming set up for the second straight year where we had a new article every hour from I think eight until uh, five yesterday. One of those articles was on a study looking at which team spent the most in the previous uh, six or seven off seasons, and then what their plus minus in terms of wins was for that off for that next season. And there's really, I mean, some teams go up, some teams go down, and some teams stay the same. Even those top spenders. Um, of course, there's other studies that show that spending big money obviously is a uh, matters more over time because those big contracts are multi multi year deals. So you're looking at you have to look at more than one year. Um, I, I always say I'm not against. I mean, if they go and sign Kimbrel, I'll be like, great. If they don't get him, I think this is still a team that can compete for the playoffs. Yes or no? Do the 2019 Minnesota Twins make the playoffs? I mean, it's it's not even spring training. So there's no reason to believe that they can't. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I'd have to look at the other teams. I mean, it, it comes back to the Yankees and the Red Sox are going to get in. The Astros are going to get in. 
And, you know, can the Twins catch Cleveland? I would say they can, especially if Cleveland ends up still trading a guy like Kluber. But even if not, then they're competing with two or three teams like the Rays, the um, Mariners, maybe the Angels uh, for one spot. So it's really hard to predict. But I think they can win 86, 87 games, even if they don't make a move. I agree for the record. I predicted the Twins win 92 games. So that's where I stand on that. Seth, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show, giving me a half an hour out of your day and talking some Twins baseball. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you a lot. Of course, Devlin, anytime. Thank you. Thank you. Take care.